Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. Welcome to Podcast 208. Again, this is the last week of our holibobs on our, on our little holiday, uh, Christmas break. So we always have a little compilation of what's gone, gone on at the end of every year. Uh, and we have had a bumper 2021. Uh, we have got some intro chat talking about the importance of morning coffee, layering up and getting warm for the winter and uh, body shapes. Um, and we've got some interviews as well, Charlotte. Yeah, so we? uh, we're talking with Melissa Nabrega. Is that, did I say yeah, that? Yeah, from Karen Cooks of Jersey. Uh, Hazel Grace from Supporting the Bulls Children. And we have an interview with... Kamal Magetcha. Yeah. Uh, enjoy all the interviews, enjoy the chat, and we'll see you on the other side. You know what? That is a really bad lockdown habit I've got into. Um, having too much coffee in the morning. And I, we had that discussion about how, how much coffee would it take to kill you because of caffeine amounts. How much um, is it? Uh, I think it's three or four cups a day f- consistently for a number of years could kill you. Really? Yeah. That little? Are you sure? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't think it should. I, I, I think I remember we had, we, had the, we had the discussion and however many it was, you used to drink that much coffee. Yeah. And we were just like... That's probably... Probably not a wise move, is it? Yeah. Let's be honest. Like, I, I have, move. like, one or two a week at most. Right. And then you were chugging them down like they were... I still do. They're, Cokes. You know... You know <laughs> no, Cokes are as bad as coffees. They've got... Okay, you were chugging them down like juice. I was... I was chugging them down like gin and tonics. If you... What would, what would kill you quicker? A gin and tonic obsession? Yes, it would. Yeah, it because would. obviously you'd either crash a car or... What? You know... I didn't say I was walk, driving. Walk into the road or, like, alcohol poisoning could get you, but the hospitals can fix that. I mean... I'd that- the rhythm. Could the rhythm get me? Is the rhythm is going to get me? You don't get that I'm reference, too, do you? I'm too young. You're too, you're too old to get... No! <laughs> joined by the man who seems to be wearing two jackets. <laughs> you it's know Chris what? Name. It is late at night. We are doing this in our little home office slash shed and I've got to put the heating on before. So I had to quickly um I had to quickly pop down and, and do it. So it is a bit nippy. I am wearing two jackets. It shouldn't uh, impact the quality of the show much it may do i may have to take off one of the jackets halfway through the uh, podcast but i'll certainly give you a fair warning before i do that why are we talking about jackets on a podcast and i'm joined by a man who's got the same length of legs as me but somehow has a bigger torso it's chris james now weirdly we're standing here recording the podcast and we're comparing leg length yeah well my trousers are the same point of my hips as yours, so our legs must be similar or same length, right? But you are taller than me, and I can't see a lot taller. A lot taller. So, ladies and gents, I don't know whether six foot two, two, I six can't foot tell tall. If, I can't tell if it's like the midsection or the neck. Well, I haven't got a <laughs> massive neck, have I? What about a giraffe? You have a really seven? skinny head as well. Uh, I've got a really skinny head and a really massive neck. Just uh, that's all I need on a Monday. I've I've had two hours in the dentist chair on Friday, and suddenly I'm getting insulted by having a massive neck and a skinny head. I can't well, believe it. When things are like skinnier, they become longer, and you've got like a really well, no, they're, they're, no, 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 no. When things become 
skinnier. They're not longer. They're just less wide, aren't they? Well, yeah, but if you if you had a circle and you squished it, yeah, it would become longer. Yeah, but if you had a if you had a circle and you elongated it, it would become what shape? Shorter. It would become like a would... sideways oval. Yeah, but I don't... right. If I put on five stone right now, I wouldn't shrink in size. You know a bigger size. chin. You know a bigger chin. Yeah, I know. But I think this and is my natural chin size. Anyway, ladies and gents, unofficial question of the podcast part one is: Is it right to have long legs and a short torso, or short torso. you've just got a long torso? No, no. Is it right to have equally long legs and then an equally long torso, or long legs and a short torso? Because I think that's where you are. I don't know what the... You know these your things Your legs end there, right? And my legs end there. You, are, you do realise we're doing a podcast, yeah? With your pointing to my legs. I've just, I've just got my yeah. hand. This is podcast gold, ladies and gentlemen. Where, where somebody just points to your legs. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway. On that note, yes. what I'd like to know, unofficial question of the podcast listeners, is what is the ideal torso slash leg length? Should your torso be a similar length to your legs I think or should your legs be a lot longer than your torso like you I think we're talking like torso should be like two three thirds of your body right head should be about one third how about neck because if you've no, got a giraffe head and neck are just all right squished together. well apparently I've got a giraffe neck yeah so, so maybe so you, maybe I am deformed maybe no, I am a just I mean, weird body your head shape. is probably about one tenth of your body so you've got extremely long legs like I do right and a really long torso, unlike me. I just think you've got a short torso there, so I don't know. Anyway. I've got your legs, though. Anyway, you have got my legs. Yeah, I think you've got mum's torso. There's the problem. <laughs> it's like one of those weird um, uh, uh, things you used to get as a kid where you used to flip the torso over and it used to be a different torso <laughs> each time. I love them. I'm the Better done by someone who can sing. Dog edition. Oh, I love a dog. Go on then. Oh, okay. You just scroll past the title. Okay, here we go. Heroic dog gets awarded for saving over 100 koalas from Australia's bushfires. Now the Australian coolie bear named Bear has been named... Did I... Coolie bear named Bear. No, it's, it's coolie named Bear. Right, okay, so... Winning an award from... <coughs> an intrepid six-year-old dog helped rescue over 100 injured koalas. I've clearly mispronounced koalas. 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 Koalas from the Australian bushfires in 1919 to... Uh, uh, 2019 to 2020. <laughs> yeah, dogs don't live that long. Now, the Australian coolie named Bear has been named a hero. Winning an award for the International Fund for Animal Welfare, IFAL. IFAL, International Fund for Animal Welfare. Bear was trained in Australia at the University of the Sunshine Coast, where the detection dogs for conservation team took the former rescue dog to use his heightened sense of smell to hunt down injured koalas among the ashes. Research fellow Dr. Ramon Christescu, who leads the USC team, Said Bear received extra pats and extra play after he was honoured via video during the IFAL Animal Action Awards event in London's House of Lords. She said Bear's sense of smell, along with his enthusiasm for play, made him ideal for research projects such as recognising the scent of koala fur in the bush. 
If Al, who's, which sponsors Bear, said the dog has been a ray of hope as he searched burned habitat to help the USC IFAL team and their partners to rescue over a hundred from. And he's he's got his own in, his, his Insta, his Insta famous. Bear the koala dog. Uh, find, ah. You can find him uh, and all about the story on Bear the koala dog. Uh, it's actually koala dog. Uh, koala. Uh, the koala dog. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Are Hello. you having a good day so far? Yes, very good. Thank you. Good. What have you been up to today? Um, oh, gosh. It's a busy day in our office because it's always very varied. Um, we're doing recruitment. We've, we're talking menus. Um, but actually, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. <laughs> I like you. I've had a busy week as well. Yeah, I've, I've had a I've had a good day. I've I've run a I've run an event for a bunch of people this morning. That was good. Um, normally Fridays are my day off. Um, I've I've gone down to I'm trying to go down to a four day week, but because we're busy at the minute, I'm I'm doing this five day week business. I don't know what's I don't know what's happening. It's you know I need to get back to my to to, to my short weeks, but all Definitely. good. Anyway, we're not here to talk about my early uh, my my work shy attitudes. Clearly, we're here to talk about caring cooks of Jersey. So before we start talking about the charity, tell me a bit about you. Uh, well, firstly, thank you for the opportunity to um, to do this for the Kindness Project. So I'm Melissa Nabrega. I'm founder and chief exec of Caring Cooks of Jersey. Um, so I'm 45. I'm a mother of an eight and 10 year old that has experienced homeschooling and doesn't want to do it again. <laughs> um, I'm married to Delio, who works in IT. Um, I've lived in Jersey for 27 years um, and it is a lovely place to live. I'm sure we'll come on to talk about the, the downsides of living here. Um, and I'm passionate about everything to do with childhood nutrition, really. Amazing, great stuff. You know, you know what? I, lo- I like Jersey. I mean, we were over seeing, because as you know, Louise, who's my cousin, connected us so we could we could have a chat. Um, and I, I like Jersey. Um, the weird thing is, every time I travel to Jersey, I just have a, a really um, bad travel experience, like getting, like getting to the place. So the first time I flew from City Airport in East London to, uh, to Jersey, and there was some really bad turbulence that I completely slept through and I was only told by by the guy next to me you know when you wake up and you go no that was all right and apparently it was a really bad flight but when we came over with the girls a couple of years ago um uh we got the ferry and the ferry because we wanted uh, so I've got friends in Guernsey as well so we did Jersey Guernsey and and then and then back to the UK and the ferry crossing was a strange one it was there was yeah it was a bit it was a bit shaky Uh, the vet, I can't get on that ferry. Every time I get on it, I'm a bit like you. I have a very bad experience. I just won't get on that ferry. It's, you know what? It's weird, isn't it? I, I didn't expect it. I expected it to be like sort of getting the ferry to France, but I suppose because yeah. it's going in a different direction, the the sort of tides hit a bit differently, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad oh. it's not just me. It's not you. <laughs> Good stuff. And talk to me a bit about homeschooling. You're you're glad that the kids are back to school, right? Yeah. So, actually, to be fair to my husband, I didn't do homeschooling. So, obviously, we locked down on March the 20th for 15 weeks, and they did periodically go back in June. But I didn't do the homeschooling because I just can't do it. It co- it causes me so much stress. Um, 
so my, my amazing husband managed to juggle all of his work time to get it done that it's like what you've got to be really diligent about it and you've got to have a structure and actually be really kind to yourself because just do it in the morning and let them do whatever they want to do in an afternoon and some days didn't do anything um it, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but some schools over here did actual Zoom classes for primary school children, but we didn't have that luxury and everything came through on Seesaw. And then we literally had to do all the homeschooling, whereas it would have been great if they'd have done this kind of environment with the teacher teaching. I'm not quite sure why they didn't do that, but I suppose they weren't really set up to do it on the first lockdown, whereas they probably would have done it better this time. So, yeah, so lockdown one, they didn't. Um, and we had sort of... Um, sort of emailed packs that we worked through with Sophie uh, now they're doing zoom classes so uh, about three and a half hours in the morning and then um, a, a body of work to do um, later on so that seems to be working uh, uh, better um, and it means that we haven't got to be the bad guys all the time because the teacher's there saying Sophie come on let's get their work done so yeah I'm 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 happy about it. I'm happy about it. I get to be fun dad again, which is the cool. job that I I can do. Um, uh, I'm not sure about strict discipline disciplinarian dad. I do it when I need to, but yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I don't I don't particularly enjoy it. So talk to me a bit about Karen Cooks of Jersey. So um, I used to work for Lloyd's Bank for quite a long time in marketing, and after I had my first child, I used to take him to little play groups and. Um, obviously that was nice and I went back to work and then I had my second child and I went back to the same play groups and I'd got experience of weaning and all of that kind of childhood food journey and when I went to the play groups with my second child a lot of the mums were saying you know what it's amazing that you've pureed all your own food and then they were actually saying most of the time we can't afford to feed our kids because we're living in poverty um and I was really shocked about it because Jersey's considered an affluent island. No one thinks there's any poverty here. And I think I was very blind to it because I'd had a very privileged life working in finance. I'd never yeah. lived in poverty. Um, so I went home and I said to my husband, like, I really just can't believe that round the corner is a playgroup where parents can't afford to feed their kids. And at the same time, there was a, a thing called the Casserole Club that had launched in Tower Hamlets in London. And it was to prevent social isolation for the elderly by a neighbour delivering a, an extra portion to an elderly neighbour. So I thought, oh, what can I do for those families that are in poverty um, in line with the Casserole Club? So I put a social media post out to say, um, can I help a family on a Saturday with a meal? And the local press jumped on top of it and which I wasn't really expecting and didn't really want I just wanted to do it for me um so that one meal turned into a network of volunteers across the island that wanted to do the same amazing it is it is amazing and so the weekly meal service was born and for three years it was run purely on volunteers and I was connecting families to um volunteers people in the community that wanted to do it that actually, I think it was two years. I think it was probably one, one and a half. And But what transpired was this whole data protection thing of protecting vulnerable families. So we formed as a charity in 2014 um, and kind of professionalised the weekly meal service. Yeah. Um, so that's our founding service. And when I started, I didn't really expect it to be what it is today. Um, 
but it is what it is today and it is amazing and we've grown from there so what we realized during that first year of the weekly meal service is that many parents didn't have budgeting skills meal planning skills even the skills to cook a meal from scratch so 42 percent of, of adults in jersey feel they don't have the skills to cook a nutritious meal from scratch which is according to a government lifestyle survey um, and similarly 42 percent of those people which may be the same people can't afford to buy fresh fruit and vegetables so that's half the population are in this scenario where they it is it's massive where they can't physically put a nutritious meal on the table so we then launched our adult cooking program so from a, a local secondary school we took over their home ec room and we taught 150 parents basic skills um, we would still like to do that today, but unfortunately we lost our cookery room. So that's kind of been yeah. on the whole for a few years. But going back to why I did it in the first place, it's around children because children are our future. If you want to sing a Whitney Houston song, but we need to make sure that... You know, we're not against singing on the podcast. I mean, we might have to get the licensing right. To, <laughs> I don't know how much that will cost us, but... Um, <laughs> Let's avoid now. Now I'm thinking about the expense of using the Whitney Houston song <laughs> on our podcast. I'm, I'm worried. Um, but, but Russ, just just superimpose it, yeah. I'll put my Spotify on. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're right. But but you know, uh, you know, being being parents ourselves, you you invest time effort energy in your kids because they you want them to have good lives and you I think you understand the impact of a good start in life don't you that's the thing and particularly when it comes to nutrition as well absolutely so um the United Nations um there's human rights of a child and access to nutritious food every day is a human right of a child and so many children can't access that because of their parents' financial or living circumstances, which isn't necessarily the parents' fault. Um, and we sh we need to move away from this blame culture that if you can't afford them, don't breed them. Like that is just not the case. And particularly during COVID, like we had, we did a, a community meal service during lockdown, and I was absolutely horrified about the people that were coming to us for help they would these were local business owners that yeah. in a normal day would be considered affluent talk to me a little bit about the impact of the element so you've got earthquakes mm -hmm. in nepal have you got got so, monsoon yeah so you've got the monsoon in the summer and then you've especially up in the uh, mountains we've got the winters yeah and the so it's a tough environment to live in. It's a really tough environment. And yeah. like I say, the kids will ca happily walk to school every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, won't, they won't go, oh, Mum, yeah. it's really windy outside. I don't go, Mum, can you take me in the car? Not an option. Is that, is that uh, as you say, because school is optional, do, do you reckon it's just that understanding of the value of education? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, I mean, one of the things um, Tenzing Norgay, when he, you know, obviously the first... Well, one of the first people on the top of Everest, because it's between him and Sir Edmund Tillery. Um, Tenzing, the quote that we use for him, from him is, I climb mountains so my children don't have to. 
Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. They don't want their kids to to be sure there's they um, want they want them they want them to be educated and most of the most of the Sherpa, the, the Sherpa community up um, in the thing, most of them their children are educated down in Kathmandu because they can afford to send them yeah. to good schools. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. So they gotcha. send them there. Whereas then there's the other um, people in the village other that, cast that yeah. can't afford that. So they're the people that you know, get You can yeah, you, you can help. Yeah. Yeah. Is it because there's a big there's a big debate at the minute about sustainable tour, tourism and yeah. Everest, right? What what do we need to do to improve the way Westerners treat Nepal? Oh my God, that's a good one. Uh, it wasn't on my list no, either. No, you cheat. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I I know I know actually up on the Everest Trail, um, they are doing a lot a lot towards um, taking away the plastic bottles okay. and things like that because everything everything above Lukla has to be carried because yeah. there are no roads yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so things get flown in on a little 15 seater plane uh, and then you see these porters carrying plastic bottles of water yeah, up the trail so that us trekkers can have nice fresh water yeah, yeah. plastic bottles of coke really we don't need yeah. i had a big debate with a trekker one year i actually didn't have a debate i had a big argument <laughs> um, because he he was having a go at the lodge owner that they didn't have diet coke oh. and i said well you don't need diet coke up here you need full fat coke no i want diet coke right well why didn't you carry it yeah yeah why would anyone carry that's something a Western that has no yeah. calorific value yeah, yeah, yeah. to you want, anyone? You want the sugar, don't you? you that's the, the thing. Sugar. I don't like full-fat Coke, yeah. but I drink it in abundance. Yeah, 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 because you, you, you want the boost. Yeah. You want yeah. the boost. But, but what they're doing up there, they've banned, I think it's as from now, they've banned single-use plastics up on the trail. Okay. Um, there's also a friend of mine has, is building this um, place called Sagamartha Next, where they're showing showing not only the locals but also the trekkers the value of rubbish so they're turning rubbish into art oh I love that and they're also, they've also got a recycling project there and what they're doing is they're asking each trekker to take a kilo yeah one kilo of um, shredded tins and plastics and yeah, stuff like that yeah. that's already up there back down to Lukla in a bag on their way down so when they're not uh, you know they've got more energy uh, take it back and then it will get transported out and recycled properly in Katmandu love that yeah. and then, that's going to be opening in May yeah, and that's a big project yeah. called Sagamar so just there's a lot there's a lot of things that are starting to go on and the one yeah. thing whenever I take people out is I tell them right take a, a what we call a, well it's a Nalgene bottle it's a brand um, you can get it filled with boiling water before you go to bed keeps you warm in the sleep Sleeping bag at yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. The next morning, it's there as drinking water. Cool. And it's like I don't yeah. need when don't I'm up there. I never use plastic bottles for yeah. for my water or anything. I'm not saying I don't have the odd Coke because I do. But only full fat. <laughs> only full fat. <laughs> so you mentioned about the building track events. Yeah. What does that involve? Um, basically, what we do is every other year we take a team of 10, 15 people maximum, and we say, right, we've got a project for you. This, it's this school, um, they need 
this many classrooms, you need to raise this much funds. So it's a, it's a fundraising trick. It's a trick. fundraising thing, and, and, and it's basically you are going to fund this school. Okay. Um, but what's going to happen is you're going to actually get to meet the kids. You're going to get involved with the build. Um, it might be you're involved at the build at the very beginning, so we're demolishing stuff, which we were last year, and two years before we were all demolishing things. Um, and then, and then you so you get you get involved in the community. You see where your money's gone. You've raised. We, we I think we did. We asked them to raise ten thousand pound each, um, and all your donors will see where that money goes. Yep. They obviously pay their own way. We don't. Every single penny that's raised goes straight to yeah. the project. So they fund flights. They fund their stuff. flights. They fund. You know, they have to pay for the privilege of coming to yeah. do things. Yeah, yeah. And it's not cheap. So, so you know, they have to pay to live in a tent yeah, for yeah, a yeah. week on the campsite. Hazel, you're not selling this. <laughs> I know. I know. As soon as I'm saying, I'm thinking. Well, but if you ask, we've we've had people that have come to both Field and Treks and want to yeah. come to the next one. You know what though? It's, I mean, since we've done the podcast. There, there, there was one I, I always talk about this on the podcast there was a um, there was a, a guy who wrote, who wrote one of my favourite books and it's called The Five Side Effects of Kindness have you ever read it? Oh no oh, it's I'm amazing to, yeah, yeah. it's amazing it's a Scottish guy um, David Hamilton his name is okay. really good and he talks about the fact that just the the effort involved in giving back makes is quite selfish in, in a way yeah. it does make you feel fantastic it makes you feel good um, so I can I can see people who want to contribute yeah. financially and otherwise I mean, to that's help it. They, co- they come out they get to see the kids yeah. they get to see the school that they're helping and, and how, how much more personal is that in yeah. terms of seeing the impact you instead of just doing a direct debit you to, see where your money's going yeah, yeah. and see what you have done Hi Kamal, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, tell us a little bit, before we start, before we start talking about the amazing work that Deep Black do, tell us a little bit about you. Um, okay, so I'm an ex-teacher, I would okay. say, um, because that was my profession for 12 years. Um, before that, I worked in industry for 19 years for BT. Um, it, within a partnership with concert as well. I took redundancy, retrained, became a teacher, worked for 12 years. The final school that I was actually at was uh, Brentwood School in Essex. Okay. Um, and whilst I was there, I was head of PSHE, head of exams, and also teaching computing. I left the school to go and do my master's in applied positive psychology and coaching psychology. Um, and it Whilst I was doing that, I also set up my own business. Um, like you didn't have enough to do, right? Like I didn't have enough to do with <laughs> the masters, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I carried on working as a freelancer for Deep Black, um, whilst I was also setting up the business and doing the masters, because they, the work that they've actually been doing has been amazing. Yeah. I've worked with them and I employed them to to do some work uh, for Brentwood School and the students within it. Um, so I knew what sort of work they did and it was something I was really interested in. Okay, so tell, tell me a little bit about that. What, what kind of work do they do? 
So they work uh, creatively to resolve conflicts, and that can be conflicts within the person or externally with staff, with the students themselves, um, with parents, and so on. So it's it's a non-profit, uh, sorry, not-for-profit organisation. Um, we work as a cooperative. I took on the role of director only recently in January. Okay. Um, they've been running since 2008. It was set up by two people. So talk to me about how that practically works. So Deep Black go in and run seminars? Or how does, it, how, how, how does the format work? Okay, so Deep Black was set up um, basically to offer conflict resolution through creativity. Um, the directors at the time worked um, almost freely but now to be fair the work that they've done the work that we've actually continued to do we are now rec uh, being recognized as, as being experts in our field yeah um we've won awards or deep black won awards i'm still not comfortable saying we although i should be um but the awards were won and it's a national health trust award so it's quite highly recognized by mental health teams and okay. the crisis teams within particularly harangay because that's that's where they're for their their work's focused the yeah 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 so um it's the unique approach holding um, and working with creativity and holding safety in the group, enabling that all of the group are able to speak openly and honestly about how they feel. Um, and really just, just being able to look at conflict from different perspectives, looking at it and being honest enough to, to identify where the conflict is actually coming in. Okay. And what sort of so, Deep Black would go into schools primarily? Um, currently, it's schools. Um, we do work with a uh, university in Germany as well, okay. and we've been having talks with a uh, university in the UK about our work. Amazing. And th what the size of the groups? Um, when you say the size of the groups, are the student groups? Okay, so student groups we tend to keep to a maximum of 20, but depends on the different offerings that we have. Mm. So we do a whole school approach looking at the introduction to emotional resilience. Um, and that's literally looking at the key words. Um, anxiety, people confused with being anxious. So rather than saying I'm feeling anxious because there's something coming up, they say I'm suffering from anxiety. So they're almost labeling themselves with a particular issue rather than actually looking at, okay, this is not the correct language. What am I actually feeling? Where is that coming from? What's the it's need that I have? Yeah, I suppose it's the difference between a permanent state and a state that passes as well, isn't it? Yeah, you know? absolutely. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering from anxiety seems quite permanent. Permanent, yeah, it's constant, it's always there. Whereas being anxious is, there are moments when I can feel I'm very anxious mm. and I have anxiety at that moment, but not all the time. Just help me understand. So, look, you, 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 so deep black folks on the area of of um, 
managing conflict through creativity. Yeah. When a school approaches you to do a body of work, like yeah. when you were when you were doing the PHSE work, yeah. what made you approach Deep Black and say this would be really useful? Um, I'd actually attended a workshop in Harringay. Um, and one of the workshops that I signed up for was theirs, purely by chance, because I was very last minute. Um, and I saw the work that they did and the way they worked and used creativity, because it's very immersive, everyone sort of just takes part, it's very drama-based. Um, and the impact it had on me as an adult, where I was familiar with some of these terms, um, was, was quite huge. And I thought, I know how the kids will respond to this, how the children in the school would respond to this, and how we as staff could also start responding to the children and educating. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole school approach um, to learning about and working with emotions, looking at... People don't realise when you behave in a particular way that there's something else going on underneath. Yeah, yeah. So I might be crying, but I might be crying from joy, or I might be crying because I'm really sad, or I might be crying because I can, you know, just cry. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. But it's that, it's that people have got their own stories, and sometimes we don't recognise that, do yeah. we? And when you say a drama-based approach, does that involve role play? Does that? It can involve role play, but generally we tend to do um, group-based or couples, so two to three people in a group okay. to have a chat and then feed back to the group. So it's a, we we create a safe environment for young people um, and adults because um, these are then offered across to parents, staff, and the wider school community as well. And that is the last of our Christmas Hollabob uh, specials where we talk about what we've been up to during the year. We are back uh, with a brand spanking new live episode uh, next week. And it's going to be episode 209 and 210. We're going to be uh, going to be four years four old for the podcast. Four and we, years, five and we, we're going to be doing We're going to be doing something special, aren't we, Russ? Yeah, we're not going live, though. <laughs> uh, uh, and on that note my friends have a, I hope you are going to have a lovely new year speak soon and I'll uh, see you in the podcast soon bye bye